coming out of Isaiah 54 and Eddie, he read part of that passage. And so I'm going to read um, verses 1 through 3. Isaiah 54, 1 through 3, and I'm going to be reading in the NIV version, okay? So let's, let's see what this passage says. This is Isaiah writing. It says, Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song. Shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Now, a little background. Isaiah is writing. He's writing to the people of God, but he's writing during a time of prosperity. So when this prophecy came to pass the people were like huh what we're doing good but isaiah knew that there was a time of judgment coming because the people were not abiding by the covenant terms of the lord and so isaiah knew you may be prospering now but there's going to be a time that's coming where you are going to be taken into captivity, everything is going to be stripped away, and you are going to be at your wit's end. But God in his goodness is saying, when that happens, this is what you're to do. And I believe it's a word for us today. When we find ourselves in turmoil, when we find ourselves at the end of ourselves, and and we feel like things have been stripped away, This is God's word to us today. He says, sing, sing. So we're going to stretch in song. The nation is being compared to a barren woman. Now, a barren woman in the time of of the people of Israel at this time and in earlier times, especially in the Middle Eastern culture, to be barren, not being able to have children, was, it was a shame. It was something that was a reproach. Because to bear children, it was just, it was, to be able to be fruitful, it meant that if you had a lot of children, it, the more children you had, the more blessed you were looked upon. Because children added to the family. Children could help in the livelihood of the family. And so it was looked on as a blessing. But to be barren, it was looked on as a curse. And so we see God telling the barren woman to sing of all things. Barrenness is an inability to conceive or the incapacity to bring something forth. And as we've seen in our last two years, we could say that there has been some barrenness in our land, in our nation. We can say that there, we've experienced times of loss, times of hardship. I, I mean, we're still dealing with deaths. 
We're still dealing with death from different reasons, from COVID, from, from different things in life. And it's compared to today as this is a time of barrenness, a time of disappointment. You know, when a woman conceived only to lose that child, what disappointment that was. What heartache that was. And this is what is being brought out in the comparison to a barren woman. But he's telling the barren woman, sing, sing. What is God trying to convey? What is he trying to tell the demoralized person? It seems almost cruel to tell that disappointed person to sing. I don't know about you, but when I am in a state of disappointment, in a state of lowliness, I don't want to sing. It's unnatural to sing at that time, in those moments. And I feel like in those times of depression, like there's a vice on my lips, cranking them shut. And the last thing I want to do is sing. I don't know if you felt that way as well. And and when I'm in these times of circumstances, I know that's that's when I have to worship all the more. I have I know that when I'm sitting here and I don't feel like worshiping and there's a battle going on in my soul and there's a spiritual battle going on and the enemy is gonna is is looking at me and saying, Oh, now that she's down, is she gonna worship? Is she gonna sing? That's when I have to all the more say, Lord, I'm going to lift up a sacrifice of praise to you. Because regardless of my circumstance, you are still worthy. You are still good. Soul, put your hope in the Lord. Put your hope in the Lord. Why in the world would God ask the barren woman to sing? I'll tell you why. Because of the promise, the promise, the promise of supernatural intervention on her behalf. Oswald Chambers once wrote this, faith is unutterable trust in God, trust that never dreams that he will not stand by us. Missionaries William and Margaret Hillis. They were missionaries in China, and during that time, the Japanese came to invade. And they found themselves in this, in this time of turmoil. They had two children, and they lived in an inland town. The village was tense with fear because everybody was expecting this Japanese advance into, the, into their little town. And at the worst possible time, William developed appendicitis and he knew that his life depended on it that he needed to make the trek to the hospital on january 15th in 1941 with deep foreboding margaret his wife watched him leave the enemy was near and the town people began to evacuate the town and margaret knowing that her two little children One-year-old Johnny and two-month-old Margaret Ann, they would never survive as refugees, so she stayed put in her house. 
Early the next morning, she tore a page off the wall calendar that read the New Day scripture. It was Psalm 51.3 that said this, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. The town emptied during the day, and the next morning, Margaret arose, feeling abandoned. The new verse on the calendar was Psalm 9.10, which said, Thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. The next morning, she arose to the distant sounds of gunfire and was worried about food for her children. The calendar verse for that day said out of Genesis 50:21, I will nourish you and your little ones. An old woman suddenly popped in with a pail of steaming goat's milk. And another straggler arrived with a basket of eggs. Through the day, sounds of warfare grew louder and louder. And during the night, Margaret prayed for deliverance. The next morning, she tore the page from the calendar that read Psalm 56, 9. When I cry unto thee, Then shall my enemies turn back. The battle was looming closer, and Margaret didn't go to bed that night. Invasion seemed imminent, but the next morning, all was quiet. Suddenly, the villagers began returning to their homes, and the colonel knocked on her door. For some reason, he told her, the Japanese had withdrawn their troops. No one could understand it, but the danger had passed. They were safe. Margaret glanced at her wall calendar and felt as she had been reading the handwriting of God. God is faithful to his promises. I'm going to say that again. God is faithful to his promises. Psalm 56.10 in the, the NLT says, I praise God for what he has promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he has promised. When we are in a season of discouragement, we can choose to sing. It's a choice we have to make. It's a choice that's up to us, but we can choose to sing. What happens when we worship? Let me share with you. Worship sets up the throne of God in our very circumstance. And where his throne is, we can expect his rule. Here at our church, we like to say where God's presence is, his presence are. He is here in our midst when we worship him. And then he begins to manifest his goodness to us. Worship and praise changes our perspective. It lifts our emotions and it fills us with faith and joy. That's what it does for us. But can I tell you, it is even more powerful than that. Because when we worship, it creates an entry point for the Shekinah glory of God to come. And his presence is actually among us. And when his presence comes, his will begins to be done. And that's why when we begin to praise the Lord, prophetic word comes forth. That's why hearts are stirred up. That's why there's a change in the atmosphere and miracles begin to transpire. 
Psalm 22, 3 says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. That verse is telling us God is in the midst when his people choose to praise him. When they choose to offer up worship, he's right there. He's right here. Can I say that today? He's right here in the midst. He is here. His presence is here. The Spirit-filled life Bible says this. The presence of God's kingdom power is directly related to the practice of God's praise. Whenever God's people exalt his name, he is ready to manifest his kingdom's power in the, in the way most appropriate to the situation. His rule is invited to invade our setting. Wow. Worship is powerful. It's powerful because God comes. He comes in the midst of our worship. And then he begins to do what only he can do. He begins to work. He begins to work on our behalf. That's why we say we fight the battle through praise and worship. Because we're worshiping. We're worshiping him. But as we're worshiping, God is fighting on our behalf. He sends his angels and he begins to work. He begins to, begins to do his will on our behalf. Exodus 14, it tells about this tremendous story of God delivering his people. Remember, they were in captivity in Egypt. They were slaves. And then God miraculously, he comes and fights on their behalf. And they are actually able to exit out of Egypt. There's an exodus out of Egypt, and they're they're not going empty-handed. They're going with blessings, and they're, they're excited, and they're worshiping God, but then they come to an obstacle, a physical barrier. What was that? It was the Red Sea. They couldn't get past the Red Sea. And then they look behind them, they see the Egyptians coming after them. And so they're in what we would call a rock in a hard place, right? There is nowhere to go. There, there's nowhere to go. They can't go forward. They can't go backward. And then they begin, what do they begin to do? They begin to complain. They begin to say, oh, were there not enough graves in Egypt? We could have died there. Why did God bring us to this place? They began to complain, and and they forgot about all the miracles that God just performed. And so here they are complaining, but but Moses, he raises up the rod of God, and then the sea opens up, and the wind blows, and the people walk through the sea on dry ground. It's an amazing miracle. And then the Egyptians follow them into the Red Sea as the people have already crossed. And then what happens? Moses He puts his hands down and the sea closes in over their enemies. And then we read this in Exodus 15, 20. Then, everybody say then. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine and led all the women as they played their tambourines and danced. 
Miriam sang this song, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurtled both horse and rider into the sea. Miriam and the women sang the right song just on the wrong side of the sea. God said he would deliver his people. And God always delivers on what he says he will do. But will we be complainers or clappers? Will we be whiners or worshipers? Will will we be naysayers or singers? They sang the right song, but they waited until the battle was over. But I've come to challenge us today. Don't wait till the battle's over. Worship the Lord now. Worship him now. Because if he promised something, he will bring it forth. We have influence. We have influence to those around us. You know, our family is watching us. If we are followers of God, and when tragedy strikes us, people are watching us to see what we're going to do. We have influence. Will we be a catalyst for the worship and the clapping of, of hands to the Lord? Will we motivate others as we move and dance before the Lord? Will we be the spark plug that ignites others to worship the King? Will we be the ones that open up the gates to the King of glory so that he can come in and do what only the King can do? I've come to challenge us to stretch in song. And then secondly, stretch in self. Stretch in self. It says in verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. The Lord not only tells his people to sing, but to make room, enlarge their tent, because they would increase like they had never seen it before. Stretch. I don't always like to be stretched, honestly. (laughs) Being stretched is an expression for doing something that maybe you haven't done before. Or not having enough resources to do it. The Lord is saying to enlarge our territory. And he also says, do not hold back. Do not hold back. Let me ask you, what holds you back? What holds you back? Someone said, the hardest person to lead is ourselves. Most problems that people have are personal problems. Leadership teacher John Maxwell, he did a teaching on self-sabotage. And he says this, people fail not because they don't have the ability to be successful, but they fail because they feel that they do not deserve success and are uncomfortable with it. So they themselves do something to mess it up. I want to talk to us about a few self-sabotaging traits. The first is lack of focus. Lack of focus. A lack of focus will cause us to waste time. Waste time. 
We have 37 hours a week out of 168 hours of discretionary time. What is discretionary time? It is time when we're not working, we're not fulfilling the responsibilities that we need to fulfill. It's the our time. We have each week, 37 hours a week. And if we waste that time, that will be 2,000 hours a year and 20,000 hours a decade. So in lack of focus, it's wasting time. Another is misuse, misuse of our resources. If we do not have focus, if we do not have goals, we waste money, we waste our abilities, we waste these things because there's not a focused focus and we don't have we're not putting our energy towards that focus. So time just goes and we waste it. What is a remedy for a lack of focus? One is what are my interests? What are my interests? What are my opportunities? What's right before me? What are those things that God has called me to do? What, what, is, what is there that opportunity that I can use my gifts and ability? And that last thing is what are my gifts? What has God gifted me to do that I can focus on and I can make a difference in? Another, another self-sabotaging trait is blaming others. Blaming others. People who blame others make others out to be the bad guys. When you blame someone else for your feelings or behavior, you, one, give them control over your life. You give them control over your life because you're saying that what others do and say, your life is contingent on that. Whatever others do, is affecting you, but you can choose to do something differently. You have the choice to say, I'm choosing to do this. I'm not going to depend on others on what I'm going to do. Another thing, if you blame others, you will always see yourself as a victim. You'll have a victim mindset. What's the remedy for blaming others? Is assume you are part of the problem because we usually are, right? We're a part of the problem. We can't just wash our hands and say, oh, it's everybody else. We also have a part to play. Also, accept responsibility. Accept responsibility. Personal responsibility is the way to change. Once I start taking responsibilities for my behavior, for my actions, then things just start to change for me. Because I'm saying, it's not dependent on what other people do. I'm going to take responsibility for myself. And then another trait of self-sabotage is surrounding yourself with negative people. Surrounding yourself with negative people. People are our greatest asset or our greatest liability. Charles Tremendous Jones said this, There are two things that will determine what you will be in the next five years. What you read and who you associate with. So four questions 
to ask yourself is this about the people that you're surrounding yourself with. One, do they believe in me? And that this speaks to respect. To respect the people that I surround myself with. Do they really respect me? Do they have my best interests at heart? That second question, do they have my intentions at heart? This speaks to loyalty. Are the people that surround me, are they loyal to me? Do they really care about me? And then we, we need to ask ourselves, can these people who surround me, can they help me? Are they in the same mess that I'm in? And we're not going anywhere together? Or the people around me, do they really want to see me grow? Are we walking in the same direction? Are they wanting to grow like I'm wanting to grow? And then we need to ask ourselves, if they help me, will it change them? And this speaks toward attitude attitude in the people around me if i become successful if i grow will the people around me will they cheer me on or will they become jealous of me will they want to hold me back or will they be happy to see me go forward there was someone when that that i i was in accountability with and they were a help to me they were I would go to them and I would tell them what I was dealing with and, and they would, they would really, at that time in my life, they were really, they were really a help to me. But when I started to grow and I didn't need to depend on them as much as I did, then things started to change because they didn't, they wanted me to just depend on that, them. But healthy growth is we began to grow forward. And we're no longer as dependent. We get to stand on our own two feet. And so we need to ask ourselves the questions about those who surround us. What's the remedy for surrounding yourself with negative people? One, when possible, choose not to be with them. Don't stay, right? That's simple, easier said than done, but it's the truth. Choose not to be with them. And then secondly, when, impo- when impossible, such as with family, choose to rise above them. Don't stay stuck. Choose to rise above them. Is anybody getting anything today, this morning? Come on. Come on. I want us to grow. I want us to go forward. And then the last thing with self-sabotaging traits is being stopped by failure. Being stopped by failure. Failure and mistakes are part of life. But the attitude that we have toward them separates the successful people from the unsuccessful. People who are stopped by failure see it from a personal perspective. They take failure personally. People who are not stopped by failure see it from a process perspective. They cry about it. They take responsibility 
but they get on with their lives after. And I think that's so important for us to understand. Because when I, when I used to fail, I used to think that was my identity. That I was a failure because I failed in this area. It became my identity. But failure is not our identity, especially when we are in Christ, because he is the one who is the champion. He is the one who has succeeded. And when we stand with him, our identity is that we are blood bought. We have been forgiven. We are we are the ones who are royalty. We are that type of people. So we don't have to be stopped by failure. It's not our identity. Every success in life includes failure. So what's the remedy for being stopped by failure? One, lighten up. <laughs> lighten up. Don't take everything so personally. Then focus on the positive, not the negative. Focus on the things that we can be thankful for, not just on the things that we don't have. Have an attitude of gratitude. And then never stay down, get back up. If we've fallen, we get back up. What does the word say? A righteous man may fall seven times, but the Lord will lift him up. We are able to go forward. Harvard psychologists recently discovered something that they call the end of history illusion. This idea centers on the tendency all of us have to believe that we have already become the person that we're supposed to be and that we are done with changing. For example, it's the end of our personal history. They researched thousands of people from every age range and found that whether people in their 20s or 60s, individuals believed that they would change less in the years ahead than they had in the years prior. Yet in their next decade of life, they were surprised to see that they had changed just as much, if not more, in the recent years than in the past. I have seen that played out in my own life. Each season, it makes me think like I've learned all that there is to learn that I can't grow anymore. But then I'm surprised when I see myself continuing to grow, especially as I read the word. The word opens up things that I've never seen before. I'm, I'm always mind blown of how there is so much more to learn and take in. The assumption that we are done changing prevents us from pursuing positive growth. We can drift to a form of complacency that comes from thinking that we are done being refined. The Apostle Paul, he figured this out way before the Harvard professors figured this out. In Philippians 3.13, he said this, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining or stretching toward what is ahead. 
Paul took assessment of his life. And that's a very good thing for us to do, to take assessment where we're at. And he said this, I'm going to forget the things that are behind me. Forget what? Forget what? Some Bible teachers believe that he was forgetting his faults that were behind him because Paul persecuted the church. He, he was a, a terrible threat to Christianity. And so some Bible teachers thought that he was forgetting his failures. Paul was saying, I'm forgetting my failures. Well, we can't forget everything that was in our past. We can't. Our memories still remember. But we can come to the place that we are no longer being hindered by our past, no longer adversely affected by what was behind us. And other Bible teachers, they believe that Paul was not only forgetting his failures, but Paul was also forgetting his successes. Because when Paul was writing this to the Galatians, he had accomplished a lot for the kingdom of God. And so he could have rested on his successes. But Paul was saying, I don't want to rely on my successes. And I don't want to be stopped by my failure. I want to keep stretching forward. There is more that God has for me. And I'm going to attain it. I'm going to take hold of it. And I'm going to accomplish it. And I want to say to us today, you are not done. God has more for your life. So continue to stretch. Continue to reach for the promises of God. To attain them in your life. Rick Rayner said this. You can't go forward while constantly looking back. So we are to stretch like never before. And then lastly, stretch. Verse 3. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Now we know that what what was prophesied against the people of God, that they would go into captivity, historically we know that that happened. The people were taken away out of their land and they were taken into captivity in Babylon. And so there they were. There was a devastation. We see that happening in the book of the prophet Jeremiah Lamentations. We see that there was such a devastation in the land. People were dying from famine. They were dying from the siege. It took so long to get in. And so the people were starving literally in Jerusalem. So they were in this state. And then once the enemy broke through, there there was death everywhere. And then the people were taken, taken hundreds of miles miles away to live in captivity in Babylon. And, And the youth, the youth of the people were dying The youth of the people of God were devastated. And so to see this promise that in the midst of everything, of the devastation, that one day, once again, there would be descendants. There would be fruitfulness in the land. 
And not only would there be sons and daughters, but there would be sons and daughters that would be warriors. Warriors that would take possession of desolate cities and set up the kingdom of God in that area. That's a promise. That's a promise not only to the people of God as far as the Israelites, but to this people of God, to us today, that our descendants would know God, that our families would come into the kingdom of God, that what we've seen in our families, if it, if it's been, if it's been, um, discouragement, if it's been that we have been apart from each other, if it's been unrest, whatever that's been for your family, God says, He promises that I will bring the families together. I will bring the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children's hearts to the fathers. There is a promise. Because God is a God of restoration. He is a God of restoration. And no matter the history, no matter what it looks like, no matter how bad his people had blown it, no matter the catastrophe, the God of covenant promised restoration if his people would return to him. Oh, I love the promise of restoration. I love the promise of restoration. He was telling them, make room. Make room. Because this is the promise. Stretch forth because this is not it. You're going to see my promise be fulfilled. It was over two year, two and a half years ago that I was speaking at a woman's advance. In, this, in the San Bernardino Mountains. And so at that day, I was scheduled to speak on that Sunday morning, and I was going to bring forth the word. And as I was getting ready to go, because it was, it was, the service was at a later time, I received a message from Alicia Gonzalez that in Cutler, my son Nathan had attended church. And that was awesome news to me because my son and us had been estranged. We hadn't been talking. In fact, we hadn't really seen him for a couple of months. And, I, and, and so I was happy to hear that he went to church that morning. And I was like, I'm going to share this. I'm going to share this good news with the women because I'm excited of what God is doing. But at the same moment, the enemy said, but what if it doesn't last? You're going to share it, and what if it, it doesn't fall through? And so that was, that was the fear that had come. But I said, regardless, and I told the women, I said, I'm, I, I was afraid to share this, but I'm going to share this anyway. Because I'm believing that God's going to do something in his life. And so I shared it that morning. Let me give you a little background on what we had been going through. Ever since my son was 14 years old. And some of you know this story and some of you don't. But ever since my son was 14 years old, we had... Issues and, and it was because of our issues as parents. 
we had issues that we were working out and it affected our home. It affected our family life. And so ever since he was 14, he, he, w- he had um, anger. He had rebellion. And so he began to act out. And, and be, since he was 14, that was the first time he ran away. And during those teen years, it had been touch and go. It was a struggle, and, and there were times that he would run away. There was times that we would have arguments in our home. It, it just started to get worse until finally the day when he was a young adult, he left. He left the house. And then he, I know from him, he, he had an addiction to alcohol. He had issues with anger, and that also spiraled into drug use. And so for about a good 15 years, he was dealing with these issues. And, and there would be times we would, a couple of times he would come back to the home, but it, it would end up where there would just be disagreement and he would leave. And so this was the setting. But when... I came home from that camp not long after that. He came to us. My son Nathan came to us and he said, I want to change. And I know I can't do it outside of the home. I need a support system, so I want to come back. I want to come back into the home and, because I want to serve God and I want to change. And so we said at that time, yes. Yes, and that began a restoration process. Became a, it began a restoration journey. But let me preface this testimony with, it was hard. It was hard. Because there were still relapses. There were still worried nights. There were still ultimatums. But the Lord was doing something brand new. And I want to brag on the Lord right now. I want to testify what only God can do. And I'm going to read it because there's a lot that's in this. And I don't want to leave anything out. Nathan started counseling, which is something he was never willing to do up until that point. He wanted to go to a Christian recovery program in North Carolina. But at that time, he was facing some DUI charges. And so he had to go to court. And he could have been taken in right there into custody when he went for the hearing. But the judge, and he expressed to the judge, I want to go to this recovery program. And instead of being taken into custody, the judge released him to go to the program. The Lord provided for him to go to North Carolina. He completed the program. And then he came home. He had a long-standing hernia. And so he had to have surgery for that hernia. But in the midst of the surgery, the surgeon removed a cancerous growth that he didn't even know he had. And he is cancer-free. He has been sober for more than two years. Remarkably, he was hired this past August 
as a mentor for elementary boys with Youth for Christ. He helped in our media ministry and the men's ministry. He got married this last October 9th, and he was just invited to preach his first sermon four weeks ago. And best of all, the Lord has restored our relationship. He's restored our relationship. Because God is a promise keeper. He's a promise keeper. He will fulfill. He is good. He is doing in Nathan's life what he always intended to do. Because he's a God of restoration. Joel 2.25, the Lord says this. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust, and every other kind of locust that we can know of. God is restoring. He is restoring. I'm I'm here to tell you today, it doesn't matter the damage. It doesn't matter the darkness. Jesus can help you overcome. He will help you. He will be with you. He is the one that stands at your right side. And he says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm here. I'm here. There are better days in front of you than behind you. Take hold of the promise this morning. Take hold of that promise. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. That's his promise. So today I say stretch. Stretch for all that is in front of you. Stretch today. Believe. Sing. Sing if you have to sing. Stretch. Get rid of those things that have been harming and hurting you. Say, God, cleanse me, refine me, renew me. And more than anything, stretch for the promises of God because he will be faithful. He will be faithful. He will answer your call and he will work on your behalf like he promised he would do for his people. Let's pray this morning. Oh, Jesus, you are here. There's not a doubt in my mind that you are here. Because you said you would be whatever your people need them to be. Whatever your people need you to be, you would be. That's why your, your name is a, is, is a compound name. It's Jehovah, but it's Jehovah Nisi, the God of our, our victory. Or it's Jehovah Rophe, Rapha, our healer. Or Jehovah Roi, God, our shepherd. Whatever you need, whatever we need you to be, you promise that you would be. And Lord, I know today there are some here that are hurting so much. They're hurting. They need you to be their comforter. And Jesus, I thank you 
that you are the God of all comfort. You are the God who surrounds us with comfort, with help. You are our help in the present need, the time of trouble. You are that God. You are that God. And so today I I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would move. You would move all over this room. You would move, God, and you would do what only you can do. Where human power and human words fall short. Lord, do what, what only a supernatural, powerful God can do. Have your way in this place today, O oh God. Because we need you. We need you. Some are in a barren situation. Help us to worship. Help us to worship in, in the times when it, it seems like it's ludicrous to worship. Help us in these times to worship you. Because you're always worthy. And Lord, it opens up an entry point where you can come and work on our behalf. Oh, Jesus, thank you that you're the God who promises restoration. And I don't know if there are people that are here today that they're hurting in their families. They're hurting. There's been estrangements. There's been problems. They're wayward sons and daughters. Lord, you promised to God that you would bring them back to yourself. We're going to stand on that promise today. We're going to stand on the promise that what you say, you do. So this morning, I'm going to invite you. I'm going to invite you this morning. If you feel that tug in your heart, the Holy Spirit has been saying, come, come. That's what this altar is here for. That's what this altar is here to come and pour your heart out to God. And wait for him to intervene on your behalf. So as the music plays this morning, as the song is sung, I'm going to invite you to come forward.